coming of the kingdom of God. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, There he is, or here he is, do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of, of Lot. Lord God, we do thank you for a time we can be joyful together. Uh, we thank you that we can rejoice in you and uh, all, all of your goodness towards us, especially in Christ. And we pray that we'd um, find some encouragement now as we think about the things that te Jesus teaches uh, the Pharisees and his disciples and us. And we pray for your help to understand these things and to respond the right way in faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so on your bulletins you'll notice that I've titled uh, this talk Warnings and Hope. And the first point is about hope in an uncertain age. Each age, it seems to me, has its own uncertainties its own threats. Every, every age seems to think it's, things are getting worse. Um, and I remember even the 90s were known as the nervous 90s. Do you remember that? I don't know what they call the, the teens, the noughties. Um, but I remember, well, before I get back to when I was growing up and when I had more hair, um, the threats today seem to be bound up with radical Islam which lead to terrorist-style attacks. And Steve uh, talked a little bit about the responsibility we've got to reach out to uh, people who are from Islamic background last week. It's a good thing to do, isn't it, to build a bridge to people with the gospel, uh, whether they're from an Islamic background or an atheistic, secular, humanist background. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Our responsibility as to Christians is to bear witness, to love our neighbour, to show common grace and to reach out to all kinds of people. But um, one of the current threats to our life and time seems to be a ra radical element to Islam which leads to terrorist-style attacks and people worry about these things. But things don't stay the same, do they? Uh, so a few years ago, back when I did have more hair, uh, I grew up as a, at a time when there was more of a Cold War issue. You remember that? Uh, Russia and the United States had rising tensions as there was a proliferation of nuclear warheads and talk about how many times they could blow the world up so many times over. And then there were concerns that some goofy person might go and press the wrong button and start off some sort of uh, counter-response. So, yeah, this, things, each age has its own uncertainties and threats. Listen to what um, one writer, the way he put it, about the problems of his age. He says, 
many problems are related to progress. A somewhat paradoxical manifestation that's also resulted in the air pollution problem, the water pollution problem, the garbage disposal problem, the radioactivity problem, the megalopolis problem, the supersonic jet noise problem, the traffic problem, the who am I problem and the what does it all mean problem. Now there is one problem under which all of the foregoing may be subsumed. It is the what, if anything, can we do about all these problems problem. Okay, so that was uh, someone who wrote that in 1969. So I'd be curious about what they think of uh, the way things have gone since then. Okay, so there's always uncertainties in life. Each age faces its own threats and difficulties. But how are we to live in the face of all of these problems, all of these uncertainties? What should our approach to life be as we think about the many problems facing the world? And what kind of hope, there's a good question, what kind of hope can we have in life as we're confronted with these multitudes of uncertainties, threats, and problems. What kind of hope can we have in life? Well, this morning we're going to turn our attention to what Jesus has to say. As he gives us perspective on life, he helps us to lift our horizons and see life in a greater totality because he wants us to be those who fight the good fight of faith and together face the future as God's people with hope. Now, before we consider the passage that was uh, read out earlier by Cassie before she shot through to the kitchen, um, we've got to cast our minds back to a couple of weeks ago where we saw that uh, Jesus had healed some lepers. And of the ten lepers who got healed, uh, one of them came back to Jesus and thanked him. He praised God in a loud voice, fell at his feet at Jesus uh, and was very grateful for his healing. And we see that that guy turned out to be a Samaritan. He wasn't the kind of person that the Jews expected would be counted among the people of God. They didn't think he'd be uh, entering the kingdom of God. But we see that that healing was a, a taste of the age to come that's broken in on the present. Uh, and this Samaritan recognised the, the grace of God to him through the work of Jesus as he, as he healed him. And so we started to see last week uh, an example of how the kingdom of God was breaking in on the present, not last week, the week before. But in today's passage, we see a different group, not lepers this time, but Pharisees, who don't really understand what's happening before their eyes. And so they ask Jesus questions about when the kingdom would come. When would the kingdom come? Well, that's what something, something they were curious about. And we see that in verse 20, this uh, discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you, or in other translations, among you or in your midst. Apparently the Pharisees held to the idea uh, the kingdom of God would only come at the end and it's not necessarily happening in the ministry of Jesus. And so they were interested in signs that marked its coming. Earlier in Luke's Gospel we saw when Jesus was healing 
a, a man who was mute because he had a demon. Uh, some said he did it by the, the, the prince of demons. But others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So they're looking for a sign. They've just seen something happen that's supernatural and marvellous in the work of Jesus, and yet they're asking for a sign. Jesus doesn't have a lot of time. He loses a bit of patience for these people who things are happening in his ministry, hearts are being changed, and they're asking for signs. In fact, in further in Luke chapter 11, uh, he, he speaks to them and says, this, his generation seeks for a sign, but it's only going to be given the sign of Jonah. And of course, Jonah went to Nineveh and told the people to turn back to God before God's judgment, and those people listened. And he reminded them that someone greater than Jonah is with them then, and the implication is they should be listening to him and repenting for their sin too before God brings the judgment day. So we see that Jesus rejects this sign-seeking approach of the Pharisees. Uh, it's true that elsewhere he does talk about being watchful, so there is a sense there's a tension here. He's, but here the situation is where the Pharisees are keen for a sign, but they're reluctant to take notice of Jesus. They're reluctant to see what's happening within people's lives. So they're busy looking for some kind of sign, perhaps even in the stars. That word about careful observation uh, is a word associated with astronomy, uh, perhaps observing the planets. They're, they're keen on those things. But Jesus reminds them that God's reign or God's rule uh, is not something that's only in the future. It's also happening in their midst. It's in, the, it's in their presence there and then. It's within to the extent that hearts are being changed and people are entering God's kingdom. And it's in their midst to the extent that Jesus is the agent who's bringing in the kingdom of God. He's the one where it's, it's dawning, it's at hand and it's breaking in on the present age. Even at that time, people's lives were being transformed as they came under the lordship of Jesus. The kingdom of God wasn't simply something that's future. It was breaking in on the present, happening at that time. And when the Samaritan leper praised God or praised Jesus for his healing, he was coming to terms with the kingship of Jesus. He was being numbered among those who were the people of God. He was entering the kingdom of God. So whilst he rejects the, the, the Pharisees' approach by saying, you know, when's it coming in the future, by, by saying, look, it's, it's already happening, he does still shed light on their stage of salvation history. But the main correction is that it's not something that's exclusively future. It comes in the present as well. So in what sense has the kingdom of God come? Well, in the Bible, the kingdom's presented as a tension of both now and not yet. It's a, it's a painful thing sometimes to live with tensions, isn't it? You know, you... You feel the, the, the weight of both, both ends and, and it's nice to resolve tensions, but this is one that we can't really resolve. There's a sense in which the kingdom is already a present reality. Uh, we know that Jesus has come to bring salvation. People enjoy the forgiveness of sins. They're given a holy, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance at the end. All kinds of people are accepting Jesus as God's king. Uh, a little later, we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. I won't say too much about him, so I don't steal Scott's thunder. Suffice to say, when, Jesus, uh, when Zacchaeus 
gets his act together and puts his trust in Jesus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And so today is the day of salvation. There is a sense in which the kingdom breaks in on the present. And yet, God's word also presents a future dimension to the kingdom as well. For example, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells a parable about the ten minutes to encourage people to not just down tools and just let go and let God and do nothing about serving God and, and in this time. He says, he tells this parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The future time of God's kingdom is still yet to come as well. The time when Jesus, uh, since he's been risen now and is at the right hand of God, he will come again, bring the judgment day and the age of the resurrection, the condemnation of Satan and eternal life in a restored and new creation for all God's children. And we live in a time between, between the resurrection of Jesus and, he, and when he returns again. So the kingdom is both now and it's also not yet. That's the tension. Well, the correction of the Pharisees uh, to say that there is, there is a present happening of the kingdom still leads Jesus into teaching the disciples. And that's what we see next. And that's where he does start to focus on the future aspect. Jesus teaches the disciples about the end. He wants them to get a handle on the future because he knows they're at risk of being discouraged once he's raised and he's no longer with them. And so he gives them... Pres um, perspective to help them stay on track. Uh, so days are coming, Jesus says, or a time is coming, but what kind of days are they? We'll pick it up in verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is, do not go running off after them. There were going to be difficult days ahead for the disciples, days that uh, would be awful, uh, that they would be frightened and anxious, and just generally, these were going to be dreadful days, particularly as uh, we know uh, the Romans did come in and demolish the temple and shed a lot of blood. During those hard days, they'd be longing for one of the days of the Son of Man, which I take to be the reign of Jesus at the end, but the end doesn't come right away. And so Jesus warns them not just to follow anyone who claims to be someone special, like who claims to be God's Messiah, saying there he is or here he is. Jesus is warning people against following false messiahs. Instead, he's very clear and says, do not go running after them. That would be a mistake. It's going to be a lot more obvious when the Messiah is coming at the end. And he describes that in terms of like being like lightning in verse 24. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Now you might remember that kind of picture. I'm sure you've had those stormy nights where a, you know, it's a really good storm and it's good to watch especially if you're not out on the field somewhere or sitting under a tree that's a lightning rod. Uh, last year when I went to Darwin, 
I was in a nice safe big building as I watched with Ross and David as we saw a big tropical storm out and big tropical clouds billowing up and lightning everywhere lit up it seemed the whole of Darwin uh, Jesus is saying we're not going to miss it when he returns it's going to be obvious for all to see his return his day and yet there seems to be a step before that time and it first involves his suffering verse 25 but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation it's only a little word isn't it to say must but it's got a, a lot of meaning in Luke's gospel Jesus is aware that this is the only way that God's going to bring salvation to people it's a, it's the only way that we can enjoy the forgiveness of sins in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays that um, the cup of God's wrath will be taken away from him. And yet he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so he willingly does the Father's will, lays down his life as a sacrifice for many. And before the end comes, Jesus knows he must suffer to bring salvation. It's, it's sad to think about the anguish Jesus is going through. We sing a song where the father turns his face away. Jesus is in the garden sweating drops of blood. He's, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult time. But ultimately there's comfort in it for us, isn't there? It reminds us that uh, we have a sin-bearing sacrifice, that all who put their trust in Jesus won't be put to shame. Instead, we can experience uh, forgiveness of our sins and what's called a type of new birth because he bears God's righteous wrath for sin, our sins. We enjoy the fruit of his forgiveness and new life as God's children. And the good news is if anybody here hasn't made, come to that point, um, God, God still uh, leaves the door open. He allows time for us to, people to repent, all kinds of people, uh, and to actually... So yeah, I would like to get forgiven and, and to put their trust in Jesus now. Even now, uh, there's assurance that if we trust in him, we won't be put to shame. There's a great comfort in his work for us. After his suffering, the end would come. And the message is that people need to be ready for it. And so we're, getting, we're given two examples where people get on with life as normal, but should be ready for what's coming next and so the first one is Noah in verse 26 we read just as it was in the days of Noah so also it will be in the days of the son of man people were eating drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark then the flood came and destroyed them all same thing for Lot it was the same in the days of Lot people were eating and drinking buying and selling planting and building but the day lot left Sodom fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed all of them it will be just like this on the day the son of man is revealed the present day and age was going on as normal and then a judgment day would come the things in those lists weren't bad in themselves eating drinking marriage being given in marriage i'm looking forward to giving my girls away in marriage one day i don't want them to stay at home forever these aren't bad things these are good things uh, people were just getting on with life but there was another day coming a more much more serious day 
and the days of Noah show that God knows how to create a world, a wonderful world, but he also knows how to judge the world. And the same can be said for the time of Lot. There was a difficult day. And Jesus draws that link between those days and his day in verse 30. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. His day will be a day when God judges the whole world. So you can stop laughing about the uh, joke about giving daughters away in marriage. This is serious stuff. Uh, it's also described, furthermore, in uh, Luke chapter 21, 34 and 35. Jesus talks about the, the global nature of this judgment. It's, it's, it's not like anyone's going to escape. Verse 34 of Luke 21. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. It'll be too late. Verse 35, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. No one's going to miss out. So after Jesus' suffering, he says the end will come. And the challenge from these, these verses is to get ready for it. You and I need to keep one eye on the future. We need to live out the lives that God's called us to now in this age. Our labour in the Lord is not in vain, Paul says. Uh, there's a lot of good things to be done in this age, living for the glory of God, sharing the gospel message uh, in the places that God's put us. We can all remember John 3.16, even if we're not great evangelists, we can all remember a memory verse and give a reason for the hope that we've got. There's a lot of good things to be done in this age and it's a privilege to, to live in this age as God's, as God's people. But we've also got to keep one eye on the future and maintain our focus on the kingdom that is yet to come and be ready for it. And so we get some continued warnings to get ready for judgment at the, at, at the end in verse 31 to 37. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, Christians have differed in their approach to this section and understanding it over time. Uh, I take it that it refers primarily to the parallels he's drawn between the times of judgment with Noah and Lot, that it refers to the time after he's suffered for sins and has been raised, and then comes the judgment day. In verse 30, we're told the, son of the day the Son of Man is revealed seems to parallel those days of Noah and Lot. And yet Jesus is warning people in 30 to 33 to get ready ahead of that time that people were carrying on eating and drinking marrying being married etc but they weren't necessarily getting ready for the end and so in 32 he says remember lot's wife she looks back that's a, that was a problem and so the the challenge is in verse 33 whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it Trying to run away from God is going to prove to be fruitless. Now's the time to get ready for that judgment day. 
Those who are taken in verses 34 and 35 seem to be those who are taken in judgment, just as people in the days of Noah and even like Lot's wife at Sodom. And so I take it that after his suffering, the end will come and we need to be ready for it. Well, was this message just for the disciples or for us? Well, Jesus certainly does speak to the disciples at that time and he's trying to uh, give a a lot of meaning to them and, and encouragement to them to keep perspective on the end. But he speaks to us as well. Many of the disciples would have seen distressing times as they saw Jesus suffer and die. They would have been encouraged when he rose again. But they would have also had very difficult times as the church was persecuted and as the temple was destroyed and the Romans um, brought in a very horrific time of suffering. And yet life would still go on as it did for in the times of Noah and Lot. People would be eating, drinking, buying and selling and planting. But Jesus reminds us the end will still come. And the wise person is the one who's not lax about that, who accepts that the end's going to come and we're ready to meet God. Jesus offers us a bit of perspective when he says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Now, some people would say that if you become a Christian, you do lose your life. But it's, it's a privilege, isn't it, though, to be forgiven, to be a child of God, children of the King. So at one level, there's a, a losing of life, and yet at another level, it's life in its right perspective. We're, he's the creator, we're the creatures. And our lives have meaning now in light of the end. There's no point in rejecting this call to get ready to meet God. That only leads to losing your life. We need to be remembering the privileged call to be uh, the servants of our God, the privilege that it is to be the children of God. And the net result of that is we, we enjoy life with him both now and ever. So what does this passage and this topic today say about hope? I listed a number of problems, a number of threats and uncertainties that we're confronted with. What does this say about hope in this age? Well, it's true to say that there is hope in this age. This is the the day of salvation. Uh, We can enjoy life with God and we enjoy becoming part of his people. We enjoy the comforts of being given his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. These These are wonderful things. But we also know that we look forward to the end. And we're given hope about that end. Because even though there is something to be said for uh, the kingdom breaking in on the present, present and us becoming part of the kingdom of God, we do know that this age is characterised by a great deal of difficulty. And I, I say this because um, I think at the moment our family's feeling it. Joanne's dad's going through a time of sickness now and, and there's a lot of sorrow in that. Her brother's disabled. And so as we think about these sort of uh, hopes of a, a renewed creation, maybe even a renewed body for Joanne's brother, this is something we can uh, find some hope in. The kingdom's broken in on the present, but there is a future hope as well. 
So we can face the difficulty of this age, the strains, the heartaches, pain and many difficulties. Uh, we can live by faith in Jesus now and we still live in hope though, don't we, of a, of a kingdom that will come and we look forward together to that complete salvation at the end. The challenge for us now is to take the, feel the weight of these passages and to, uh, I guess, enjoy life as God's people now together but also keep an eye on the future at the end and be, to be ready for that time. So may we be those who are steadfast in our walk with the Lord, that we keep our hope in the right place, that we keep our hope in Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, uh, enjoying God's grace in giving us the forgiveness of sins and knowing him as our God. So let us be those who continue steadfastly until the kingdom at the end. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you that Jesus is risen and that uh, he does uh, give us hope. We thank you that he's coming back again to take us uh, to be with you. Lord, we um, thank you for including us in your kingdom. And we give you thanks that our labour in you is not in vain. And we pray for uh, many good and wonderful things that we can do in this time that you've given us life uh, for your glory. Lord, we pray for our efforts to reach out with the news of Jesus and we give you thanks that you're patient and allow time for people to repent and get right with you. And Lord, we give you thanks that we've got a hope at the end so that we can face uh, many strains in this age in the knowledge that you will bring your kingdom uh, in the end, a time when things are restored and renewed. We thank you for your grace in giving us each other. We thank you for your grace in giving us your spirit who leads us on. And we pray that you'd help us to be people who are steadfast and encourage each other to stand the test of time as your people. Lord, we thank you for this time we share together now and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.